0: Hi, everyone. It is Monday, February 19th, 2018 at 1 o'clock Eastern Time, and this is Admissions Live. I'm your host, Nicole Lentini, and on today's live broadcast, we're talking about coordinating stakeholders for marketing campaigns. Admissions Live is part of the Higher Ed Live Network. Our episodes offer you direct access to the best and brightest minds in education. Be a part of our live broadcast by sharing your knowledge. Participate in today's discussion by tweeting us using the hashtag Higher Ed Live. All of our episodes are free and easy to access in video archives at higheredlive.com or take highered live with you on the go by subscribing to the podcast. Hired Live is produced by M. Stoner, a digital-first agency committed to tailored solutions that drive real results. Have you ever wondered what prospective teens are thinking when they receive and read or ignore your institution's recruitment marketing? The third study in the mythbusting series, in partnership with NRCCUA, is the first to focus on the complete enrollment marketing mix. The research will uncover the best marketing channels and communication preferences that have the biggest influence on prospective teens' perception of your institution. Sign up now and receive early access to the research results and white paper releasing soon. Without further ado, I am very excited to uh, welcome my guest today. Um, her name is Diana Kib- Kibiltz, um, and she's manager of undergraduate recruitment at Western University. Um, so can you please share a bit
1: about your background in higher education? Yes. Thanks, Nicole, for having me today. Um, so my name, as she said, is Dana Cubans, but a lot of people just call me Day. So feel free to call me that. Um, I started in digital marketing about nine years ago, but really started in higher ed in 2011. So I got really lucky that my very first job in higher education was at Penn State University, which is a uh, an incredible institution. And I had my very first role was as Uh, online recruiting, online marketing for their world campus, which is like their big online university, one of the best in the world. From there, I moved to the undergraduate admissions office and had various roles, starting literally as a writer for recruitment, and then ended up being the CRM manager and led um, the office through the CRM implementation uh, for the first, for the second time. It was kind of a revamp (laughs) that time around. Which coincided with the implementation of their student system so i have a lot of uh, experience with both sides of marketing so the creative the fun the writing the the concept but also all the data that needs to be um, analyzed or looked at and all the execution of the marketing campaigns and the way the campaigns were actually built in the crm from there i went to cornell i spent a year in alumni affairs as a digital strategist for annual giving programs And my role there was primarily also writing solicitations, but also um, creating campaigns, especially for big events like their giving day, 24 hour giving um, initiative that a lot of universities are doing nowadays. Now uh, in my role here at Western, I have been here for about seven, almost seven months. And I manage all domestic recruitment. So that's from traveling to campus tours, open house events, and of course, the entire communication strategy for recruitment, starting from the very first time they hear uh, from us to the moment they are registered and sitting in a seat. So that's kind of my higher ed background. So mostly recruitment and admissions, but have a little bit of experience on the entire other side in alumni affairs as well.
0: Well, that's a good duality to have. I think, you know, I, I, we, we were talking before we went live about how much enrollment is changing. And I think you really the, the vitality of having that marketing background is really hugely helpful in thinking about making recruitment better and um, really supplementing the efforts you make kind of in that travel side and everything else you do in recruitment
1: yeah absolutely. One thing I always say is you know marketing and at least where I work, marketing is recruitment. Every single thing we put out is recruitment. and I have been really lucky at least throughout all my roles. I've always been part of like the central office, the main office, so I haven't been in an academic college or department. so all of my roles, if it's a big project, it requires coordination with multiple stakeholders across the the university, whether it is economic colleges or a department or a unit or central communications. So if, if I, I ever wanted to accomplish something big, it required a lot of coordination um, with a lot of partners throughout the campus. Absolutely,
0: yeah, I think, it- it's, it's so interesting to see, you know, kind of how much digital has really come into that forefront as well. Because I'm thinking of uh, what you said reminded me of a quote I heard at uh, the ed web conference that was, um, every page of your website is an admissions page, you know, even if it's not explicitly an admissions page, it is. It,
1: is. <laughs> it absolutely is. yeah So, and um, fortunately, I think universities do understand that, right? I mean, When you are marketing, yes, you have several different audiences, so you're obviously trying to attract the best faculty, you're obviously trying to get alumni to stay engaged, but uh, without that constant influx of new students, um, what is our business model, right? So I think universities do understand that. Which is why being in recruitment, at least, I feel is a slightly privileged position because your priorities are the university's priorities, which oftentimes helps a lot when you're trying to implement things or get budget approval for things um, or if you need to make a business case for something. So I love it.
0: Yeah, absolutely
1: (laughs) true. And I feel like you you have the. uh, Well, both the privilege and the
0: burden, I think, of sometimes knowing what's coming down the pike, because you need to be getting that out there and need to be prepared for you're always thinking about that next class and the class after that. And um, yeah, so it's a lot to kind of be to kind of be thinking about all the time. But it definitely makes you aware of kind of the larger institutional, like you said, goals and um, things that are happening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so so can you share just quickly, because I think, you know, I mean, I live kind of a little bit in this space as well. And I know other colleagues who live in the same space that you're speaking to. So so what is kind of your, your balance of sort of your day-to-day, month-to-month, you know, like what does that sort of admission cycle look like for you? How much of your time is kind of spent in this marketing realm? Obviously, like you said, you know, A lot of admissions is marketing, but kind of more explicitly in this space that we're talking about today.
1: So um, I'll just start by saying that one of my first cultural shocks when I first moved to Canada in August was that recruitment and admissions are very separated here, um, at least at my institution. So there is a team that focuses only on recruitment and there's a team that focuses only on admissions. So my recruitment team, we spend the entire year doing recruitment activities. We do not evaluate applications. We do not... um, talk to students about decisions. We don't do any of that. So uh, the recruitment model here is very much focused on traveling. So there are three months of the year that that's all the team does. Almost everybody is on the road every single day of the week. Um, The rest of the time, I I manage a team of six. And what we focus on as the team is reporting, planning for next year, of course. You're not done with one generation. You're already trying to bring in the next. Um, We're interacting one-on-one with students, trying to pick a program, trying to um, still maybe apply. Uh, We manage the open houses, all of the events, the campus tours, and, of course, all of the recruitment communications. So from the moment we're on the road and we're following up to the moment, as I said before, that they are sitting in a seat. So that's kind of what the day-to-day looks like uh, when you're not in the travel season. For me, it's a mix of all of these things. And I would say, though, that because marketing, recruitment is marketing, marketing is recruitment, that at least 70% of my time is spent thinking about content and wording and strategy and communication time timing. So I think my job right now is incredibly marketing heavy, uh, which I'm super happy about. But um, it just goes to show that you really can't have one without the other, at least in my opinion.
0: Absolutely. And um, I've seen that on, on the side of things that I'm into that, you know, I, I find more and more I need to be thinking critically about kind of the, the marketing of what we're doing. And it's whether it's through the email communication I'm having with students, you know, whether it's one on one or large scale, like I know we're going to talk about a little bit with campaigns, Um it is vital to kind of have that. I, I feel like I want to make a t-shirt now that's like recruitment is, what did you say? Recruitment is marketing, marketing is recruitment.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've had to convince a lot of people of this. Um, before I got here, the, you know, recruitment was thought of mostly as travel. Um, mm-hmm. Communications were, was kind of left to our central communication partners to, to map out, which is great because they are incredibly knowledgeable and experienced. But at the same time, You can't have recruitment without marketing and marketing without recruitment so um we're trying to bring those two things together now within the recruitment team so um it is everywhere so it's it's everything we write on the brochure for the open house it's um every one-on-one interaction that we have with students you know we, we answer the question but we might also plug something like hey and if you haven't been come here to this super awesome event so that's marketing right and it's our entire communication calendar from, you know, this is, this, this is what students are thinking about in March to the actual words that we're going to say in the time that we're going to post it, right? so um, that's, that's what I spend the majority of my time doing, I would say.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Um, and I know you live in some digital spaces as well, right? You know, in some social spaces, like, you know, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, some of Yeah, so
1: Here, here at Western, uh, we primarily use email and Facebook for the future students. Mm-hmm. We share our Instagram, Twitter and Snapchat accounts with the main university accounts. So we don't use them as liberally, obviously, as we would use, as we use our own email and Facebook page, um, because the, the main Instagram account has all the audiences, alumni and faculty and friends and everybody, right? Some current students. So we focus primarily on what we can do with our email and Facebook and then suggest what can be pushed more broadly if it's something big enough or an initiative that's big enough or an event that's big enough for the entire community to be aware of. Awesome.
0: Wow. I feel like that topic alone could take up an entire other episode of this um, because I just started thinking about, you know, institutions that have their own admissions or recruitment channels versus ones that are sharing, like you are. And we are doing the same with some of our channels, sharing with all the audiences, which is a very different conversation.
1: Yeah. And honestly, this is, I was just at a conference um, this past week, and this is a topic I was thinking about, you know yeah it's great. We focus on these channels. You should only focus on the channels you can maintain, right? Email and Facebook in our case, but the students are on Instagram and Snapchat, right? like the the prospective students that that we're trying to reach. So should we have dedicated accounts or not, then you lose the value of the big brand right and the beautiful images and the resources. so i don't I don't know what the right answer is. Um, this one's kind of been working for us so far. Um, but I've seen more and more universities focus. Um, kind of have a Snapchat only or Instagram only focus um, because we know students don't really read emails and students don't really go on Facebook right so or that's what we like to say um, so it's it's interesting because I, I really don't know what the right answer is in this case yeah
0: absolutely nor, nor do I so I it's <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. yeah we're all learning all the time so <laughs> it's I've presented at conferences before and and people have asked that and I'm like it really depends on your institution. And even still, I don't know if I know the right answer for ours. So (laughs) (laughs) experience, but um, so, so let's go to these kind of broader, you know, marketing campaigns that you're talking about, you know, who, who are the typical stakeholders that you, that you collaboratively work with?
1: Yeah. Okay. So we have, we have what we call like our yearly calendar, which is really rolling communications. And if you are in recruitment like me, you know, these things don't really change, right? Like, you know, the, the, the main information points, but you also have the, the campaigns, the exciting things you want to do sometimes. And then depending on what those things are is the level of collaboration that we have with partners across the university. So our main primary partner always is our communications, central communication um, counterpart. So we are lucky. That we have a person dedicated to recruitment in our central communications team. So, this person has access to all of the resources, images, design, uh, email templates, et cetera. So, everything and absolutely everything is coordinated with, with her. Then, um, there's partners across the university that are not necessarily academic colleges, so like residents, student center, um, student organizations, or anyone that wants to that we, we feel like we need that special voice in our communications. If we want students or the residents folks to kind of send us some content, we work with them. And then our academic colleges, of course, um, which depending on the time of the year, may or may not be too interested in sending specific messaging. Uh, but definitely as we, we are in the kind of conversion Time frame. it's more and more important for the students to hear directly from them, right? What, what students think about is the program I'm going to go to, and then they think about everything else. So the more content we get from them, the better. So those, I think, are the three main pillars for me, at least in this role, is our main communications person, um, the supporting units around the university that make the student experience possible, and then the academic colleges that have all the like the actual juicy program information that students care about. Yeah, <laughs> what they really care about, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, that's that's a lot of people and that makes a lot of sense that, you know, that you have to be so cross-collaborative um, in this kind of work, uh, what's, I guess, I'm kind of looking at the way that higher ed currently exists and higher ed is constantly changing and is up against a lot, you know, a lot of policies out there, a lot of administrative challenges all the time. Um, but especially in this space, once you start getting that many people's voices as part of these conversations, you know, things can kind of get slowed down by, you know, difficulties in communication or by um, maybe larger than is necessary committees or, you know, some outdated kind of policies. So, um, you know, all of these are, you know, fairly, I think, it's safe to say that a lot of our viewers have have dealt with in these kinds of spaces. So, um, you know, what's your take on sort of structuring your partnerships with these stakeholders in a way that keeps everyone informed and part of the decision, um, but doesn't delay, you know, the actual ability to get stuff done and to get
1: stuff out. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll start by saying that it doesn't always work no. and <laughs> nobody has the right, like framework. So I'm still working on the right framework, and I will forever be working on the right framework. But I feel like what has worked for me um, is when you know when there especially when there is a new a big campaign or a new idea is somebody has to take the lead right so this is why sometimes I cringe at committees because I imagine everybody walking into a room together, completely blank slate, and trying to create something in a, a very collaborative environment, but there's no clear lead right. When I have found these big campaigns work is when somebody, usually the central office, so in in this case, maybe the recruitment office, has an idea, I have an idea, and you bring it to these stakeholders and say, this is where I see you fitting into this idea, and this is how we're all going to be tied together. So what I need from you is this very specific thing, this content, or this voice, or this piece of this entire experience that we're designing. Uh so that's that's usually how I like to structure the framework where we have to be several weeks ahead or several months ahead of when we want these things to happen with the idea and then we pitch it to the partners and get their content or their their piece their feedback their changes etc um that's how what i have found works the best Even with the regular cycle type of communications, it's usually what works the best if you present a calendar to them and say, this is what I'm thinking in terms of the yearly calendar. Does this meet your needs? Is there anything here that's missing? Would you add anything? Would you say anything differently? And then um, you're not trying to create something from nothing where people have completely different priorities, right? Mm -hmm. Which should really all be the same priority, but... It's not always. <laughs> so uh, that's the framework that I feel works. Um, somebody has to start first, and then everybody else kind of fills in the gaps. Now, um, that's kind of difficult to do if I mean, if you're only doing big campaigns the entire year, like that's incredibly time and labor consuming. But fortunately, at least in recruitment, you know, once you did it once the next year, you can do it exactly the same way again, because our audience is completely different, right? (laughs) Completely new first years. Mm -hmm. So, um, it, the work, it's a lot of work, but it is worth it because it can become part of your yearly cycle or yearly calendar in the next year without that much level of effort. So I don't know if, um, That answers your question a bit. Like that's how I get around the committee situation or the everybody, the consensus situation. I just, I just, I'm ready first. And then it's like, here's how you can fit in
0: to this idea. It does answer my question. And I, and I love that. And you're right. You know, like you said at the beginning, you know, we're all trying to figure it out. So there's no one right answer, but I I like your method because I do, I do think it's vitally important that someone sort of, that someone owns it um, rather than if it's completely, you know, oh, everybody's got stake in this. That's when, that's when it can get sort of Gritty. I guess I, that's not fair to say, though, because everybody still has a stake in it, whether or not it's their sort of campaign versus their part of it. but. Um but I think it gives you the space to sort of lead the charge in a way that if it's completely, you know, these three offices are all doing this, it it doesn't give you the same ability to do so.
1: Somebody has to go first because it is incredibly daunting to go first. And that's what, you know, when you try to go to a college and you say, Hey, I need a communication strategy from you. They're like, Oh my God, I do 10,000 other things. Right. Sometimes they're even faculty. Right. So giving them a very, uh, concise and clear picture of how they can contribute to this and meet their priorities that is not this incredibly labor-intensive campaign it works i mean it has worked for me they know that they know that their priorities are being addressed they are using their own voice but they don't have to they don't have to do the whole thing right Mm -hmm. so it this has worked um just because and then for me also it works because then the the overarching campaign is something cohesive and collaborative that works That makes sense for the audience and that addresses everybody's priorities but also has everybody's unique voice which is what really we should be trying to do right so So, i yeah i guess my only advice is be first be the (laughs) first (laughs) have things ready and then ask for ask for input and collaboration yeah
0: it's it's great advice to have and and i think it shows your excitement to kind of to work with others and to say, like, I get it, that you don't necessarily have the ability to to hand me your communication plan and find a way to make it work. But, um, you know, we're, we're kind of leading the charge on this. Um, what? How frequently do you sort of uh, you, uh, connect with people, meet with people? You know, how, how frequent is that kind of in-person communication?
1: So for the... That- Typical cycle of communications, the yearly cycle. Um, at Western, we are kind of meeting happy. So we have about four meetings um, with different, some, some overlap of people, but not exactly the same group. So there's a, like a brainstorming meeting, a, a creation meeting we have biweekly with my team and our communications partner. So in this meeting is where we say, okay, this is what we're thinking for April. These are the main things students care about in April. This is what we're seeing coming in through the inbox or the data. Um, so we want to address these things in April. How do we do that? And like in that meeting, we kind of hash that all out. And then there's, um, a meeting focused solely on social media with, um, the recruitment partners, but also student success, student, um, affairs type of partner and supervisors of all of these people involved. So that's the meeting where we say, this is what we're planning to put up on social for the next month and then there's another meeting that's about general communications that happens weekly um in which really we're just showing our supervisors what is going up or what is being sent out for the for you know the upcoming period this is a weekly meeting so it's pretty regular and then um that's for like our, our regular communication cycle and then when um when we have a big campaign which At Western I haven't actually had yet like a big initiative like a giving day or a big open house um, kind of communication strategy We would but when we when I did do it before uh, You meet with your stakeholders Really very few times so like there's the initial idea pitch and then there's the final this is what we're actually going to do meeting But then we used to keep um, them updated through a toolkit um, so through web resources Just because I feel like there's there's so many that what they need to be doing is creating their content or whatever it is that the task is and and meeting didn't really add value in that context, but for the regular stuff there's regular meetings and in my opinion, there's too many meetings, but you know, we'll get there. Um, We'll reduce some of those with time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: I, I, you're as you were talking through that, I thought of uh, there's like ribbons for everyday things that are like floating out there on the Internet. And one of them was like, uh, I survived a meeting that could have been an email. Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> or I think I just had this exact meeting with two more people in it or two less people. in it. Yeah, like sometimes I feel like I'm in exactly the same meeting I just had.
0: Mm-hmm. but there's,
1: Now there's one more person or something like that. And I know we all suffer from that. I, I know that we all do. So I know you guys understand.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I if if viewers aren't already shaking their heads, they will be saying like, "Absolutely, I live that same life." But but I think it's good to be aware of it and and to alleviate that. The, the, the influx of meetings when you can, and I'm, I'm so I'm glad that you brought up, you know, like toolkits or spaces that, um, that information can be shared, that it doesn't have to be the same meeting over and over again, because otherwise things don't get done when you have a day full of meetings. You can have a lot of talk, but the actual creation of the content doesn't necessarily have a time to happen.
1: So One of the things that we are trying to implement here is, you know, instead of meeting to talk about what's upcoming in the calendar, I just share the calendar. Like if you want to know what's upcoming in the calendar, just look at the calendar. And if you have questions, then we can talk, right? Then we can schedule something. So that's one way that we're definitely going to be cutting some of that. And and that's another way that I keep my stakeholders engaged. So we have this communication calendar we create in the brainstorming meeting uh, is shared with the entire campus community so everybody knows exactly what recruitment is sending out everybody that wants to know um what recruitment is sending out when and what the audience is and what the key messages are and when we actually build the email content we link to it in this calendar so they can see what the email was um so it, that's one way i think to effectively keep people updated um at whatever level they want to be updated they, they can ask for more or they can completely ignore it but having a, a standing meeting to talk about the upcoming communications is something that I don't think is very worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, I can, I, I, I can agree with you, with you there hundred um, percent.
0: So it kind of makes me curious because I know um, you're, you're fairly new to Western as you mentioned. Um, so I, am sure you have some, some ideas kind of bounce around of, how, of some changes you want to make and you've shared some of them. So um when we were talking earlier about kind of this, the cycle and, you know, you were saying, you know, once you build that structure in place, you can reuse it again the next year because this brand new wave of students. So um, what's your kind of ideal breakdown of focusing on these campaigns that happen annually versus bringing in new ideas and how would the development of those kind of, what would they look like over the course of um, your, uh, of your year? Uh,
1: So, you know, if I had to pick like a percentage breakdown, I think it'd be something like 80 20 or 70 30, where 80% or 70% are the standing things that happen yearly. So when I say that though, I mean, um, you know, in, in a yearly calendar for a recruitment, you know that they're in the fall they're prospects, so you're trying to get them to apply, so you're trying to make the university look really exciting, and then in the spring, maybe they already applied, and now what you're trying to do is make sure that they accept your offer and not other offers, so you're trying to give them those incentives or make your program seem particularly interesting compared to other programs. So the, the main messaging kind of stays the same. It's cyclical in recruitment, but that doesn't mean that the way that you're delivering those messages or the channels that you're using to deliver those messages won't change every year. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, when, when I think of the ideal structure or the ratio, I think the communication calendar, like the messaging timing um, should stay pretty solid throughout the year. But we should have enough time to assess hey is the way that we're saying this or the way that we're delivering the right way to deliver this for this generation and generations are changing so quickly now that you know what worked this year through an instagram story next year there might be no instagram story so we have Mm -hmm. no idea right so we need that flexibility as well but to get that flexibility you need your robust calendar so you're not inventing what you're going to say every single month right So right now, because I'm new in the role, we're in the process of building that calendar. Now, there obviously was a calendar. This is not the first year Western is communicating with prospective students, but we're beefing it up a little bit and we're um, adding some stuff based on student feedback and like changing some stuff around. So once we have that really solid calendar next year, what I would hope is that we could spend um, our time thinking about, okay, are we saying this? Is this still right? Now, that other 20% would be completely new initiatives. Like I think we need t- to plan for time to be not reactive, but kind of respond to the times. So if something really cool is happening um, that can be used to attract students, like you need to be able to write about it or talk about it or include it into your communications. If a new channel or a new tool or something has come out, you know, you need the time and flexibility to be able to play with this stuff. Um, so maybe 20% isn't enough time, but Uh, that would be my ideal kind of breakdown where most of the stuff we know what we're doing, we're just like checking, is this still right? Is this still right? And then um, the rest of the time we're thinking, okay, what's missing? And, or what's happening or what didn't work? What do we need to kill? Right. Um, So that, that kind of would be my ideal um, breakdown in terms of how these things work differently. I think for anything that's the standard calendar, you know, you need, very little check-in, very little, um, kind of committee type meetings or collaboration meetings because you, everybody kind of knows what their role is and what you actually need is just a little bit of time management. And if you need people to contribute, what you need is to, you know, it, with time request that content, make sure you get it. You need a good editing process. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's something completely new, of course that requires like the initial pitch, it requires, um, gathering all of the stakeholders making sure they have a role that meets their own priorities and goals and then a little bit a lot more effort in getting that thing off the ground right so that's that's how i see the collaboration piece a little bit different i think there's routine collaboration and then there's the hey i have to convince you that this is a good idea collaboration <laughs> <laughs> um and then and that it's not going to be a lot of work for you so there. The 20% of the time, those 20% big idea projects take a lot more collaboration time than than the routine does, obviously, right? I mean, I think that makes intuitive sense to all of us. Um, but that's, that's how I, next year, I hope that we can operate.
0: <laughs> yeah. There's so much of that that I just like, I... I... I want to like highlight the everything you just said, but um, the thing that stuck with me um, in particular was talking about, you know, even if you are kind of doing these, these same things that you did last year, doing, having sort of the same communication messages, um, thinking about the channel and how that channel changes. Uh, I, because I think it can be really easy to get a, get just in the same, the habit of doing the same thing over and over and over again. Um, and I'm thinking right now, but we have our admitted Facebook group and um, we're seeing that some students are reaching out to us and saying, I don't have a Facebook page. Like how, how can I collect, can I, Look, connect with the other classmates from my class when I don't want to make a Facebook profile. You know what are my other options? And um, and that's been something that's been with us for a long time. So um, I just I wanted to kind of go back and sort of reiterate what you said there because I think it's so vitally important to be thinking about this, even if we are you know trying to focus on that breakdown of same campaigns we've done in the past versus brand new ideas. And I love your concept on that too. Um, It's so vitally important to make sure that we're paying attention to doing these things right and and paying attention to our audiences and where and meeting our audiences where they are. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and I'll confess, hopefully, like my boss is not listening right now that, you know, Western had been doing the exact same communication calendar for 12 years Mm -hmm. before this year. And the messages were right. They were at the right time, you know, but it was it was literally, well, what was the newsletter last year? Let's update some of the numbers and then let's send it out again. And that works. Um, it certainly works because, again, it's cyclical. It's a cyclical business. But, you know, maybe that's not the voice that you want to use anymore or maybe that's not something i are worried about anymore. And there was, that assessment has to happen every time, right? So even if it is a fixed calendar, like every month you should be thinking about the next month and saying, does this still matter in March? This is still, or in the fall or in the summer, look at your entire fall calendar. Does this still matter in November? Does this still matter in October? Um, just to be sure that you're doing it, right? Um, and that the channel is right. So we, we also have the Facebook thing. And I said it earlier, like, is Facebook, like right now it's okay. It's kind of working. It's working. But... Is it going to be working, right? Like we know parents are the people that are on Facebook. Do we have a parent strategy for Facebook? Not really. So these are the things that we should be giving ourselves space to think about, um, which means we need about 24 more hours in a day, right?
0: (laughs) Is that the truth? It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, There's never enough time in the day. Well, even when you were talking earlier about your role and all the work that you do, it's like, and I I laughed because I'm like, I do a lot of the same, but oh my gosh, it sounds like so much.
1: (laughs) It's, yeah, it's, you know, thankfully, in a way, our curse that higher ed doesn't move at a very fast pace is actually beneficial for us because we would not be able to do <laughs> everything that we want to do with the time that we have, right? So, yeah.
0: yeah. Double-edged sword, I suppose.
1: That's right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, so I know you've been part of some really cool campaigns in the past. Um, so I'd love to hear kind of what was maybe one or two of the most successful campaigns, uh, successful marketing campaigns you developed in, um, in your past and what made them so successful and kind of what did the collaborative side of things look like in the build up to those campaigns?
1: Yeah. So, um, I'll, I'll talk about Cornell. So I yeah. loved my time at Cornell. It was a magical year um, i was really fortunate to work on re- with really amazing teams and a really cool campaign so one of the ones i'm most proud of is our giving giving day last year giving day campaign um, email communications in particular um so you know we had a real problem in the previous year our unsubscribe rates were through the roof because it's a giving day right it's 24 hours everybody wants to communicate with their constituents whether it's past donors or alumni And everybody has a right to, right? Like, we all should ask for the gift that we want. However, it is a finite audience of alumni and past donors. So a lot of them felt like they were getting spammed. And there was no real, it wasn't just the volume of emails, but there was no real content strategy behind the emails. So if you looked at what a typical alumnus or alumna received, you know, it was very similar subject lines kind of clustered together in the morning, then nothing, and then again in the afternoon, and like, You can tell if something was written by engineering versus central versus football right (laughs) it was just like um i looked at that and i said we can do better i know we can so that was probably one of the campaigns i'm most proud of is you know the the primary thing was we have to control volume and we have to control purpose so for volume we talked about ways um to minimize the spamming. So it's giving this, so you're gonna, there's gonna be at least some tiny level of spam. Like everybody just has to be okay with that, right? But um, maybe instead of 15 emails in a day, it can be six or five, right? Um, so that's one thing we addressed um, by, by defining who would get what and at what point uh, we would not allow individual units or colleges to email people. But then the other piece, the content piece, it was just as important right so central of course central was communicating with the entire constituent like the entire audience that day but what is our role as central so it was it's to announce and to create excitement and to like kind of explain the 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 momentum and the power of everybody together and i can't tell the engineering story like engineering can or an engineering can't tell the art story like arts can and i can't tell the art story so Um, In that campaign, again, I was first, right? You have to pitch this first and you have to say, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'll do as central, but this is how you can complement this and make it beautiful, right? So tell the stories, motivate, inspire, show what happens when people make gifts. So what ended up happening that year is, you know, although, um, of course, there was still a lot of emails, it was less, but the emails that they got were relevant, And I do believe, you know, there's a lot of research about this, but if the emails are relevant, people are less likely to be offended by getting a lot of them, right? So if you see an email that's very clearly about how I'm making a gift to this engineering project is going to help the environment, you're like, oh, that's really cool. Instead of engineering saying, hey, today's giving day, make a gift, right? So that was was one of the campaigns I was definitely very proud to collaborate on, and it required it required creating a purpose for each and every single one of the stakeholders and then making sure that I had created enough of a framework and a, and a structure and a process for them to fit into it without it being super labor intensive for them. So all I had to do was create content. And um, so our campaigns were really well-coordinated throughout the day. So that that one really worked um, really well. And it was, you know, the first meeting with the stakeholders was with a core stakeholder group kind of pitching the idea The second meeting was with every, like, gather feedback, make changes to the strategy. Then every stakeholder was rolled out to all the stakeholders as this is what we're going to do. And then we didn't have any more meetings after that. All we had was a toolkit where we kind of kept people updated. And we hosted some virtual office hours. They could also be in-person office hours. We just kind of sat in a meeting room, had, like, uh, remote access on. And if anybody had any questions, they could ask us during office hours or not, right? So that's how we kind of kept people um, up to date and communicating with each other, but it worked beautifully. It worked really well. Um, In terms of metrics. So I think for me, I always focus, I focus just as much on my internal audiences as I focus on my external audiences when I'm measuring if something is successful or not. Of course, unsubscribe rates were lower. Of course, um, conversion in some of these segments was higher. So we got more guests from people that as we had last year, but, um, the fact that we establish a precedent for collaboration so that the following years or with any other campaign, you could just mimic that same model. Um, that's a huge win for people in roles like you and or yours or mine, right?
0: Mm-hmm. You don't
1: have to convince them that collaborating is a good idea. Again, in the future, you, they know they can trust you. They know that you have their priorities, um, as one of your priorities as well. So the fact that, you know, you're building relationships and people are really happy with the way that you prioritize them and everybody's needs were, were addressed. That's a huge win that we can't measure in clicks or opens or anything like that. So that that's why I consider that one really successful. I think there was a lot of relationship building and a lot of trust that happened out of that campaign. And we did a similar smaller campaign later in the year um, that Kind of follow the same model where you know we have to get people to give last minute in the year the fiscal year right so how do we do that so i came up with an idea and same thing so i had the the framework of the idea but i needed the colleges and units to kind of provide their own part their own piece and all i had to do was go out to them and say hey guys this is the framework do you want to participate if so this is what i need you to do one two three and they trust me now right so it was, again, another really great experience. So those are two, both at Cornell, that I'm really happy about. And it's a model that I have, you know, consistently tried to use since then. So it's the be first, care about their priorities, and give them a purpose that is different from your purpose that meets their needs, right? So usually that that has worked for me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah,
0: I, I I love hearing those stories because um, it's, it's cool to see, you know, you didn't want to, you didn't want to diminish the power of any of those um, different groups on campus. You just came forward with a way to, to achieve everybody's goals you know, in a better way while, not, while also thinking of your, um, your audience. And I think that that is just a great kind of start to finish story to be able to take a look at. Um, I appreciate you getting a little bit into the the kind of project management side of things too, Um, because I I think it's really interesting to be trying to think about, you know, how do we make sure everybody feels heard and feels valuable as part of this conversation, especially when when you're kind of leading the charge a little bit and and helping to guide them. Um, um, And goodwill does go a long, long way. I mean, metrics can, metrics are helpful. And I think certain board members always like to see those. Um, But I I, I think uh, having those relationships and knowing you can tap into those relationships in the future is huge. Um, And I'd imagine that even after you left that, that goodwill still stays, you know, within that or within that office back at Cornell. Um, And now you have a good sense of how to forge that there at Western too.
1: Exactly. And I, you know, that's, that's exactly, I hope the way it's working this year when they are trying to do collaborative campaigns, that the trust is still there and that the same framework is being followed. Um, it's, you know, it's funny because sometimes previously when I, when I hadn't cracked this, right, um, it always felt like it was an us versus them type of thing, like central mm-hmm. to override and didn't understand the the priorities of the units or the faculties or the departments. It is just as easy as asking, does this idea meet your needs? And if not, how would it? Because oftentimes the tweaks are not that intense uh, or that, you know, that life-changing. And then they're like, great, I have to do less work because somebody else is coordinating this for me. And it actually meets my needs. So, and for us, it's a huge win because our audience, like the messaging is making sense, right? So it's it's scary to ask that because you have a fear that your entire strategy is going to change, but it often does not. It's often a very small tweak to get, um, to get to a place where they're actually comfortable with a collaborative strategy. Um, And, you know, I have, I've talked for hours on how to get people to agree on one proposal, Um, (laughs) but it's, it starts with, you have to understand that they are worried about their turf and that's understandable Um, so how do you make sure that that is covered? That's, it's really, really that simple. And it's just by asking the question. Um, so, yeah, Yeah.
0: I I like what you said, go, you know, it goes a long way that, um, most people, when you tell them, like, actually what I'm suggesting to you can make your life easier and you don't have to keep, you know, reinventing the wheel every time It, it does, it goes a long way and makes people more excited to collaborate and to understand. And I think, some people are still a little bit, maybe a little bit harder to convince, but um, when you have the proof that you can put forward, I think that really goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know we're, we're we're nearing the end of the hour. So um, keeping an eye on tweets, any viewers who have any questions for day, please uh, feel free to tweet us uh, with the hashtag higher ed live, um, she's active on Twitter as well. So uh, if you miss her now, I uh, might be able to catch her after the fact, but, um, I really, we talked a little bit about this, but I just want to kind of uh, loop back because I want to be sort of forward thinking with the next few, for, with the last few questions. Um, so we talked about, you know, you've had this great success at Cornell in the past and other institutions in the past. Um, and now, since you're fairly new um, with your role at Western, um, what are kind of the the changes you're hoping to implement as far as the structure of how these campaigns and how the, communica- the collaborative communication happens in the future? future? What are some changes that you're hoping to make within the short distance future?
1: Yeah. So, um, so when I started the role, um, I, as I said previously, I managed a team of six and within this team, there's, they're very young. There's a lot of very creative talent and and incredibly enthusiastic and like proactive talent. So the very first thing that I'm, that I I'm doing and that I've established a structure to do is to let, them be the voice, be the voice of recruitment at western um, you know they're also the same people that travel all throughout the province so they're the same people in con- in direct contact with our actual audience uh, throughout 3 months of the year so and they have like excellent backgrounds in order to be able to articulate and create content and create communication strategies so like that that's one of the most important steps i think if you have a team Um, if you are, you know, if you manage a team or if you know, if you have work study students or interns, find a way to let them be the voice. You are the conduit. They are the voice. Um, of course it requires your supervision and your guidance. Um, but you, an entire communication strategy cannot just be born out of one brain. It just cannot. No. So it it really cannot. It's not (laughs) great. So that's one of the biggest changes. I mean, in the past, it had been um, also done collaboratively, but there wasn't a lot of input from the people that were on the ground, the actual recruiters, which are the people that understand the audience, and the ones that are in charge of the recruitment verbally, right, when they're out. So that's the voice that students hear first, and then that's not the voice students hear again, right? So mm-hmm. there has to be a match there. So that's one of the biggest changes. And it's now for me, the, I've established the structure, but now my job is to give establish the trust right, and continue empowering them and getting all of my stakeholders and my management and everybody involved to uh, trust them just as like as i trust them so that's one big structural piece highly recommend um, second is obviously um, get rid of meetings that are not necessary i think that's anyone in any role in any situation uh, can benefit from that. And, and part of it comes from the trust of where this stuff is coming from. So if you trust the source, you don't need meetings to approve or review or make sure things are going out correctly. Um, so that's one big kind of structural change that I'm hoping we can, we can make. Now I'll, I'll talk about a structural change. I, I did, I, i that was successful at Cornell just because I remembered it just now. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're a writer or you know, like, you ever have to write and there's an approval process that involves maybe your supervisor or somebody else, like, you can cry about how incredibly horrible it can be sometimes. Like, there's version 15 and an email and a Word doc, and you're like, why are you still changing words? Like, the message is loud and clear. Like, there's this back and forth. Um, If you are a writer, I highly recommend, and this is against research and practices, (laughs) to if possible schedule a 30 minute session with whoever your approver is and read like have them see the thing there maybe give it to them in advance if they really want it and any changes that i need need to be made will happen in that room and then never again so you have you have translated your back and forth 15 version 3 day 5 week 2 week process to 30 minutes and you both agree that at the end of those 30 minutes that's the final final version of the draft that was, or of the, of the thing of the email or whatever, that was monumental. It was such a, such a successful thing to do for us. It cut so much time away from review and like frustration, right? That Mm -hmm. everything goes back and forth. Like, how am I missing the mark? Why am I not getting this? Um, and from, from the approver's perspective as well, like why isn't this right? You can have those conversations in person and like solve it like that. So That's another structural tip. We haven't encountered the situation necessarily here, but if I ever do, that's what I'll do about it. 30 minute review meetings, final drafts at the end, period. So um, if you're a writer, that's a pro tip. That is (laughs) is fantastic. fantastic, It works really good for us. Yeah, it
0: sounds like it. And I mean... I'm even thinking about my own experiences with writing and we've had that back and forth, Google docs, adding comments, you know, and, um, I think the other thing that that you gain from that is, yeah, you can hash it out in person. And when you need to go back, when it's this, when it's the same people again, for something in the future, you're also hopefully going to retain some of the, like, the things that you figured out then to be keeping in mind for the next time around.
1: So it can make it even quicker and even um, a more simplified process. It's, it's easy to think that that meeting is useless, right? Like, oh, one more meeting. Why can't I just read it and send you my feedback? It is not. Not all meetings are a waste of time, right? Meetings get a bad rep. Bad meetings are bad, but not all meetings are bad. So I, that, that, that was a huge shift for how we handle approval process. And I'm sure a lot of us in recruitment admissions end up writing our own stuff, and it has to get reviewed and approved. So um, that's something that has really worked for me in the past. That is fantastic advice.
0: Um, I might have to take that back to our own experiences here. I I guess I I think that is a really great way to hash all that out. Um, And actually that leads really beautifully into just kind of my closing question for you. It's just what sort of, I mean, you've shared some great advice, some great tips, some great experiences. And I know, like you said, we're always learning and there's no particular way that's necessarily the right way, but um, is there any other advice that you, you know, are, are, Hoping, that you're willing to give to our viewers or listeners um, about kind of being in this space?
1: Well, so, you know, I'll just reiterate what I've kind of been saying throughout. Mm-hmm. And I'll start by saying that, you know, I I have changed as I have grown. So my approach now is very different to my approach 10 years ago when I was in my 20s, right? Um, and what I have learned is that even if I have a phenomenal idea, it can't come alive without the brains of many other people. It just cannot, Right. So what I need to make sure that I do is that I I make I I give people the same passion that I'm feeling for this idea or this proposal and that I give them a spot that is uniquely theirs. It is my job as the person that is in recruitment or you know the digital strategist for whatever, it is my job to make sure I showcase the best of the best and the best of what people can give me, right? and i have to create the framework and i have to make sure their priorities are addressed but then i need to let them shine so if you can find a way especially when you're doing big initiatives or big campaigns to you know create the framework where you know that's going to be a cohesive message and the audience is going to like it but then give every person or every stakeholder that's involved the opportunity to give a unique perspective and have their priorities addressed then you'll rarely ever get a no, right? You'll rarely ever get uh, somebody that doesn't want to cooperate. So, you know, I I have been fortunate because my roles have been in central communications. Like I've always been in like the main office, the main campus, the the primary recruitment office, whatever you want to call it. So it is very easy for me in this position to say, oh, of course I lay the framework and then I just get the pieces. If you are in a department, that's a little bit harder to do with the rest of the university. Um, But, you know, think about your job as connecting the dots if you are in one of these central roles um you kind of lay out the picture you have an idea what the picture is but you can't draw it on your own so you have to get the colors from everybody else and it is your job to connect the dots so if you if you go through your professional life that way people will begin to trust you and they will begin to understand that you don't want to take over their messaging you don't want to um make it all the same voice necessarily you want to showcase the best of what they've got and all you're trying to do is create the framework where it all makes sense together so that's very abstract advice um but it's it's what now with nine years of experience in this in this digital realm it's what i have learned that really almost always works so That's but no that was a perfect way to end it, and
0: I think it, it was a beautiful way to put it too. Um, to to really think, I love that bringing bringing their colors to it and and thinking of it almost in an artistic way is actually a really cool metaphor for sort of pulling this all together. Yeah. Um, so so thank you so much, um, and and thank you for for just
1: being part of the show today. I learned a lot, and I hope our viewers did as well. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And if anybody has questions, I'll be checking out Twitter.
0: So awesome! I will make sure to uh, to share your your ha- your um, Twitter handle so that folks know where to find you. And uh, of course, if anybody uses the hashtag live, I will share those questions with Day as well. Um, so thank you again, Day, and thank you uh, as always to our program sponsors, uh, M Stoner and NRCCUA. And I will see you all again next month. Have a great day.